just, just a couple other quick announcements I'll make that, that there are so many in the hopper today. Um, you heard about the baby shower next week in the afternoon at my house for Rowan. That night, March the 8th, Angie and I will do a presentation about our trip here at 7 o'clock on Sunday night, March the 8th. So uh, please nobody come, and that way we won't have to do it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm just, we're trying to sort through 3,000 pictures and get you out of here in less than four hours. So we'll, we'll do that next Sunday night. And then the following Sunday, which is the 15th, we had a, a business meeting this past week, which is a great meeting, but... Uh, we didn't have enough of a quorum to vote on bylaw amendments. So on the 15th, there'll be a short membership meeting right after the service um, for us to vote on those amendments. There's information about them out in the foyer. If you can't find it, ask me or Jake or Christine and we'll get you a copy. Uh, But that'll be on the 15th. All right, welcome to the season of Lent. Um, It's a season in the Christian year Uh, about reflection and repentance. It was originally started as a a period of time uh, in preparation for people who would be baptized on Resurrection Sunday. And we actually are going to do a baptism that Sunday here. So if you haven't been baptized, want to be baptized, touch base with Jake or I, uh, or or let Christine know in the office. And in, in our lectionary during these times, we typically return to the Old Testament prophets or the history of Israel to kind of look at some of those themes of repentance and reflection in a preparation for us to celebrate the good news of the resurrection of Jesus coming up uh, in a few weeks. So today we're shifting gears way back from the John series, I Am, back to 2 Kings 24 and 25. We're going to look at the very end of the nation of Israel before the Babylonian exile Uh, And it's the end of an era. Before the sermon is over, Israel will be reduced to nothing. Um, So we're going to go back there. We see in the last days of the kingdom of Israel that it goes from bad to worse to nothing. That's what happens in our text today. Not very exciting or encouraging, but it sets the tone for us to understand how the Jewish mind saw exile, which is what we reflect on during this period of Lent. After Solomon, you remember Israel was one nation, but after Solomon it split into two, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Um, Israel had a horrible time in the north. The kings never did what God wanted, and Assyria eventually came and wiped them out. Judah in the south did a bit better. They lasted a little longer, but eventually they would fall to Babylon. So what we're, we're talking about today is really that southern part of the kingdom and the end of it. Um, it, it chronicles the end of the southern kingdom, as I said, as it goes from bad to worse to nothing. Now, we pick up our text in 2 Kings 24. Uh, it, it's already in, underway, and I'm going to get some volunteers in a minute to kind of help you act out the story or see the story acted out. And it may, it may go from bad to worse to nothing because I'm not great working with this, this kind of thing. But, but being in the Holy Land, I realize sometimes seeing things visually and standing in certain places help you. And so we're going to do that just in a minute. But first, um, we're going to look at 2 Kings 24, 1 to 20. We'll read a little bit more in 25, but we'll start in 2 Kings 24, verse 1. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. 
But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord sent the Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, that means he died, and Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not march out from his own country again because the king of Babylon had taken all his territory from the wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates River. And Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elidathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. And at that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. And in the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. And he carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000, only the poorest people in the land were left. And Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and his leading men of the land. The king of Babylon deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and, and artisans. He made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Don't you love this history lesson? Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamotal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, we're going to stop there. Now, you see why, why you think maybe... I need to help you understand some of this dynamics. Did you guys follow that history? Some of you historical readers maybe did. It took me about a week and a half of reading this to say, okay, who are all the players there? So what I I want to do, I want you to see that what's going on in this historical passage is a cycle of rebellion. It's the same thing happening over and over again. Now, I need five volunteers, old, young, just first five people up here, come on up. It's not going to be hard to do, um, but I do need five, not just two. Any more? I got two. Good. Three, four, five. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Okay. We got five now. We got five. Okay. You guys come over here. Um, all right. You get to be a Pharaoh. Okay. You're Pharaoh Nico. All right. Uh, you are, who wants to be, you can be Jehoiakim. All right. Uh, you can be, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Me. Oh, <laughs> 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 right, you be Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Your name is so big you can't even fit it all in one Who wants to be King Jehoiachin? Chin. Okay, you're okay. the chin guy. I got chin. You got the chin. All right. And last of all, we've got 
King Zedekiah. Matt Man's going to do that one. All right. Now you got it. You guys just hang. This is so complicated. This is the biggest challenge for me right here. Five young men up here and me trying to guide them. All right. Um, here's the way we're going to look at this, okay? You guys, and, and this map is not to scale. You guys are Egypt, okay? This whole section. So can you, can you do something like this? Right? You're Egypt, okay? You guys are Israel, okay? And Balcony Church, you guys are Babylon, all right? Yeah, we've always known that. <laughs> okay, now when we pick up our text, Pharaoh Nico, come over here, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, sorry. That's my southern Pharaoh coming out. Pharaoh is already in charge, and Jehoiakim is the king of Israel, but really, he's, he's more like Pharaoh's buddy than the king, okay? Right? So this is what's happening. Egypt has taken over Israel. Jehoiakim is the king, but really, Pharaoh's in charge, okay? And that goes on for a while, and then we have this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the biggest, baddest guy from Babylon. He comes down all this way, and he comes over, and he says to Pharaoh, you're no longer king. Yeah, put it on. And he sends Pharaoh back home. So Pharaoh, you just go hang out right there. Good. <laughs> Maybe leave. All right. So now, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go stand on the steps over there. You're going to go back to Babylon. And King Jehoiakim is now Nebuchadnezzar's buddy. All you guys are still Israel. You're still ruled by Jehoiakim, right? But, but Nebuchadnezzar's gone home and Babylon's really in charge of you. Now, here's, here's where you fit in perfect merit. After a few years of this, you're like, so much of this buddy stuff. So what you, this is what you're going to do. We're going we're to add audio to it. Okay? You're going to say, back off Babylon. Ready? Go for it. It's on. Say, back off Babylon. Back off Babylon. Back off Babylon. And what you're going to do is say, enough of this buddy business. Yes. I'm going to be the king. <laughs> All right? So after a few years, no, no, hang on, hang on. Your, your turn's coming. That's your dad. Be nice to your dad. Okay? Okay, turn around, turn around, face. You've got to rule your people. Rule your people. Okay. But Nebuchadnezzar hears this, doesn't do anything really about it, but everybody else hears it as well. And they say, okay, Jehoiakim is... You know, he's, he's flexing his muscle, which means Nebuchadnezzar is not... You just stay right there. No, 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 no. You're not coming back yet. You're not coming back yet. Nebuchadnezzar is not protecting him anymore. So some Babylonian raiders, some Arameans, some Nabataeans, all these people come in, some Moabites come in, and they <coughs> kill you. Sorry. So you're dead. You're gone. You're gone. You can die. You can rest with your fathers in any way you want. Now, Jehoiachin, no, 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 no. Okay, go rest with your fathers. You're dead. You can't do that. Jehoiachin, your son says, okay, dad's gone, but I, I still want to be king, right? I don't want to be a buddy. I want to be a king, right, Jehoiachin? Yeah. Right? Nebuchadnezzar says none of that. Nebuchadnezzar comes over. Now, you don't kill him. No, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. This, see, this is kind of the way it was, actually. <laughs> No, no, just, just listen. So what you're going to do is take away his crown, give him back his buddy hat. Oh, you don't have his buddy hat. Here's the buddy hat. But then you're going to say, I don't even want you here. And so you two, you're going to take him and this whole section. You guys are going to Babylon. You guys can stay. But next week you have to sit upstairs. Okay? So you guys go to Babylon, back to the steps. 
And before Nebuchadnezzar leaves, he gets Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is his new buddy. And he's just ruling you guys because you guys are gone. You're going to Babylon. Okay? Those guys are there. Hey, this is developing way faster than I thought. See? All right. Zedekiah does the same thing for about eight years. And then Zedekiah says, back off Babylon. He says, back off Babylon. Back off Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar comes back, takes Zedekiah to Babylon. Go bye-bye. See you guys. Go, go. You don't have to fight. You're gone. You're gone. And now you guys go to Babylon as well. And all that's left in Israel are the poorest of the poor. That's them. Okay? All right, volunteers, thank you for your help. Have a seat. Have a seat. Well, I'm going to say that didn't go as bad as it could have. All right. Some guys really just want to leave their mark there forever, don't they? Um, that's what happened. There's, what I want you to see is there's this constant switching. Pharaoh takes over. Jehoiakim Jeho- says, okay, I'll work with you. Then he's like, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes the power away. Jehoiakim says, I'm not going to stand for this. Nebuchadnezzar, come, or people come in and destroy him, puts in another king. He stays there for a while. Then he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar kicks him out. Zedekiah, he puts him in. Zedekiah says, I'll stand for this for a little while, not too long. And then Nebuchadnezzar kicks him out. And basically, over that period of time, in this cycle of rebellion, Israel is decimated. There's really only the children's space left. That's all that's left with Israel. That cycle of rebellion leads... This is going to bug me. That cycle of rebellion leads to a kingdom in ruins. And that's what we read about, right? A kingdom in ruins. It's falling apart. Israel, and Israel's fallen to the Assyrians, and now the southern kingdom of Judah really has nothing left. There's not even a a vassal king there. It's like a wasteland. And if you look in chapter 25, just listen to the first 12 verses. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, this was the last king, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army, and he encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year, two years, of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. And then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night to the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward the Arabah. It's down toward Jericho. Been there, done that. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his soldiers separated from him and scattered. And Zedekiah the king was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put out his eyes. And they bound him with bronze shackles. And took him to Babylon. And on the seventh day of the fifth month, the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses in Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. 
So what, what you see is happening here, I'm trying just to get you in the, this is all history, is that this once proud kingdom of David and Solomon is now nothing. It's been completely wiped out. And you guys are all sitting in the balcony now. You've been taken from your home. It was a kingdom in ruins, but what was even worse, it was a faith that appears powerless. They burned down the temple. They took the stuff out. If you keep reading, I won't read him, but if you keep reading in 25, they break down the pillars. They steal the bronze. They steal all these things that were symbols of God's presence with his people. And it's all wiped out. And if you look at chapter 25, verse 21, the very last phrase, so Judah went into captivity away from her land. Have you ever noticed that that land over there is a pretty important thing to people? Right? That was the the promised land that they left from Egypt and wandered through the desert and God gave it to them and they had lived in it and occupied it. It was a symbol, especially Jerusalem with the temple of God's presence with his people. And now that kingdom was in ruins and their faith appeared powerless because another country had come and destroyed it. God did not protect them. And then they go 70 years in exile. Two full generations taken away from their home. That's, if you, you want to read a, a psalm about how the people felt, Psalm 137, just listen to this. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? I want you to get the sense of the fact that for a Jewish person, this was utter devastation of their entire identity. They were taken from their home. Their God was completely destroyed and desecrated in their minds. And, and, and then they were there for 70 years. Now, I've never done anything for 70 years. Think about your, a time period in your life that was difficult or a struggle, right? Imagine that for 70 years. It's a long time. That's long enough for you to even forget what good was like. And this idea of exile becomes very deeply embedded into the, the mind and the, the thinking of the Jewish people because everything has been stripped away and they're taken away. Exile becomes this powerful spiritual metaphor. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Why would Peter refer to them after they've come home, right? They've come back. Why does he still call them exiles? Because in the Jewish mindset, this was an important metaphor. And read, I'm going to skip the video. It's just we're running too late. There's a video on exile by the Bible Project that you should watch because what it basically says is this this idea of exile became a spiritual metaphor for the people. It was a symbol for them of the fact that there are times in life when God seems to have left us. Israel's exile here in Babylon reflected the backstory of Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. And when they went out to Babylon, it was another sense of exile. 
And even in the the New Testament church, the writers picked up that idea that we are not home. We are not in the place where we want to be. Things are not as they should be. We have this longing for home. Anybody ever felt like the world doesn't work the way you want it to? You ever feel that longing for something different? You know, that's exile. And the New Testament picks it up and says, that's, that's who we are. We are exiles. We're living in a world that isn't the way it's supposed to be. And the point of the New Testament is, we do not need to be afraid to be in exile. We do not need to be afraid. We live today in, in a world that, that suffers from the ripple of human rebellion. That, that, the same thing that the kings were doing, we see over and over, people are grasping for power and greed. Decisions on, that are made on one level bring pain to so many other places. People feel powerless. There's this human rebellion against the law of God and against what God mandates for, for human relationships, for what God mandates for what we worship and what we value. And, and, and society in a corporate sense turns their back on that and there's this ripple that affects us all. We feel that. And, and not only is it corporate, but it's inside of us. We make decisions that rebel against God. We choose lust over love or selfishness over compassion. And we know better. But sometimes it seems like these bad choices are so deeply embedded in us, we make them even when we don't want to. That is the sense of being in exile. This is not the world we want it to be. This is not the way we think it should be. And, and Lent, this celebration that was, celebration's a weird word for it, this season that we go through of Lent is a way of actually describing what we're existing in. It's a way of acknowledging the truth about our experience. That, that this world that we live in is not the world we hoped it would be. It's a Babylon compared to the city of God. And and as we go through this, we trust that God is using this time as a process that purifies. Jeremiah writes to the exiles in Babylon. And in Jeremiah 30, 24, he says, The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. Do you see that? God is sending them into exile because he has a purpose for them in his heart. And they don't get it. He's not fully rejected his people. He has a purpose in his heart for them. And exile is this process that purifies us, that helps us to step away from the world as it is, to acknowledge it's not the way we want it to be, and to begin to think back and long for something greater. I shared with the, the business meeting the other night, um, Hosea 2.14. Hosea, is, is a, he, he marries a prostitute and she cheats on him and runs away. And God says, that's what's happening between me and my people. I have chosen them and they have fled and cheated on me. They've, they've left me. And he says in Hosea 2.14, therefore now I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and there speak tenderly to her. That God sometimes takes us into exile so that we listen. We need sometimes to step away from the busyness and the, the normalcy of our everyday world for it to get quiet enough for us to hear what he's saying. 
Sometimes we get so lost in this ripple of rebellion and everything that's going on and the chaos all around us that we have to step away from it, that it has to be stripped away from us so that we can listen to what God's saying. If you flip over in your Bibles now to the book of Ezra. Ezra is where we're going to spend the next few, well, two weeks on Ezra and three weeks in Nehemiah. But Ezra is 70 years later. Ezra is when they're coming back from exile. If you look at the first four verses of the book of Ezra, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem and the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver, gold, with goods and livestock, with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You see, one of the things about exile, one of the beauties about us celebrating that idea through Lent is that there's, it's a season, it ends. Now for the Jewish people, it was 70 years. But at the beginning of that exile, or even through the middle, nobody thought, hmm, Persia, Cyrus of Persia is going to overthrow the Babylonians, and his desire is going to be to build a temple back in Jerusalem. That was not even a concept for them. And yet that's exactly what happened. You see, one of the things we've got to realize as we are in exile, or as we live through Lent, is that hope requires patient endurance. Remember, we read... Revelation 1.9 last week, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see, the, the beauty of going through a season of Lent is it reminds us that, yes, we live in a, a spiritual form of exile. This is not the kingdom of God the way we hope the kingdom of God will be manifested. But it also reminds us because we break it on Resurrection Sunday that it's temporary. And we have hope, and we can be patient, we can endure patiently, waiting for the hope to come. That's why I want to wrap up today showing you that Lent, what we do in Lent, is a tool for maximizing exile. Maximizing exile. I don't know that you ever really, those two words typically don't go together. But if we are in exile, if we are living in this broken world, and anybody disagree that we're living in a broken world? Everybody, are we unanimous in the fact that the world is pretty messed up right now? Yeah. So if we're here, how do, we, how do we use what we're doing over the next six or seven weeks to maximize that? Moses writes in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I always growing up thought that just meant be smart about how long you live. But it also means number your days, figure, do things during the course of your days that help you grow in wisdom. That's one of the reasons we map out seven weeks and go through the season of Lent. Because we want to number our days to be wise, to remember that we do live in exile. There's four R's. I grew up with reading, writing, arithmetic. Anybody else? I grew up in the southern United States, so the other one was basketball. Right? <laughs> Those were our four. I want to give you four different R's today. That will help you maximize your lint. The first one is this. Realize the brokenness of the world. And you say, so you really think we need help with that, Jeff? I think we do. I think we know it's broken, but I think we do our best to try to hide from it, to try to ignore it, to try to run away. 
from the reality, to turn a blind eye to the suffering. We try to numb ourselves to the brokenness of the world. We do it by distraction. We do it by addiction. We do it by accumulation. We try to get enough stuff so that we don't feel the pain of the world. And Lent is a time that says, open yourself up to feeling the pain of the world. Realize that we live in a broken place. Because that soon makes you very discontent with this place and you long for the coming of Jesus. See, the destruction of Jerusalem forced the Jews to acknowledge something was wrong. And Lent helps us to honestly say something is wrong. We need help that is bigger than us. We need somebody that can deal with coronavirus. We need somebody that can deal with the, the political situation. And not, it's not an individual. Sometimes we run and we hide from the pain of the world by looking for the hero, the political figure, or the, the brilliant scientist that's going to save the world. None of that's going to help if our hearts aren't changed. See, that, that's what the brokenness of the world comes back to. We have brokenness in us. And that's, that's the second thing we come to. We reflect on the brokenness in ourselves. Turn just for a minute. I know I'm a little bit over, but turn to Lamentations. You're going to say, where is that? It's uh, in in the Bible, in the Old Testament. (laughs) It's after Jeremiah, which is after Psalms. If you go to the middle of your Bible, that'll be Psalms, and go a little bit to the right, you're going to get to Lamentations, and get to Lamentations 3. Jeremiah is writing this book during this time. And and he's living in a broken world. His country, his nation has been destroyed. He's been the vocal one that's been telling them about it. And and I know there's a lot of verses here, but I'm just going to, they're short. I just want you to read, think about you if everything that you had had been lost. And you had realized that the problem wasn't just your nation, but that the problem was in you as well. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah writes, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away. He's made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he, God, has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Skip down to verse 13. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became a laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. That's, if, I, I guarantee you, you've, you've had a day where this was your prayer, Right? And then Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, verse 19, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them. And my soul was downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Stop right there. You see, understanding the brokenness in the world helps us to realize the brokenness in ourselves. Remember Isaiah, he sees God in the temple, right? Isaiah 6. And when he sees, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and everything's shaken. And the first thing he says is, woe is me. When we realize the brokenness in us, it's overwhelming. And that's one of the things we do in Lent. We realize the brokenness in the world. We acknowledge that part of it is us in our own lives. But here's the good news. We are broken, but we are loved. Okay? You can't. That's what makes it safe to admit you're broken. Look at verse 22 of Lamentations 3. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, that's, that, that's the heart of Lent. Why do we wade into Lent? Why do we look at the brokenness of the world? Because we can, because we're safe in the love of God. I can wade into the darkness of my own heart and not be afraid that God's going to reject me. Not, not be afraid that God's going to cast me out because of what's, what I'm hiding in there. Because he loves me. That's why it's so good in Lent to confess, to, to get it out, to admit. And, and by doing that, we release our desire for control. See, the cycle of rebellion is all about control. It's all about you controlling your image, controlling your amount of pain that you'll take, controlling who you're in charge of, controlling who's in charge of you. And, and we need to release that. Jeremiah writes, continuing in Lamentations 3, 24, that I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lent is a time of being led into the wilderness of your own heart. And it's scary to go there. It's scary to be honest about the selfishness that resides inside ourselves. But you know what? That, that's where the selfishness in the world comes from. If you're willing to wait in there and take God with you who loves you, whose mercies are new every morning, if you're willing to release control on how people perceive you and how you perceive yourself, if you're willing to let God love you at your darkest place, it transforms you. It allows you to refocus on surrender and following. You see, oh man, I've got so much American in me. And Americans are always about bigger and better and conquering and changing the world. We really believe, I'm Canadian too, which tempers us a bit, but we really believe we are the best people in the world. We got the best of everything. And everybody would be better if they're just like us. That's what Americans believe. We're taught that. <laughs> yeah, we learned it from you guys. And it was not a good lesson. Thank you very much. But, but the, the point is this. We come into our faith and we, it, sometimes we, we embrace faith in a way that says, I'm going to conquer the world with my faith. I'm going to make a big difference. For, I'm gonna, and all we do is bring our ego along for the ride. And what we need to do is release control and refocus on follow and surrender. Jesus never called me to change the world. He never called me to fix my neighbor. He never called me to get everybody right. He called me to follow him and to surrender. You know, when, when Peter went through his own exile experience, when he denied Jesus three times, right? And then he saw him die. When Peter got reinstated, right? Jesus is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Remember that whole story? Well, at the end of that, the, the fire's a little too hot on Peter. And so he sees John over there and he says, well, you know, the rumor was that John was going to remain alive until Jesus returned. And it says in, in John 21, 22, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? You must follow me. What is that to you? If this person becomes president or this person becomes prime minister or, or this Christian does it, you follow me. Refocus on surrender and following. Realize the brokenness of the world. Don't run from it. Don't ignore it. R reflect on how your brokenness plays a part in that. You can only do that if you realize that, that Jesus has loved you and will always love you. Then you can release your desire for control 
and refocus your life on following and surrendering to him in the middle of exile, when, when things don't go your way, when you're far from the world you want it to be, you can surrender and say, I'll follow you here because I know that your mercies are new every morning and that your love never fails. Lent is a season that it reminds us that our lives are a season too and that one day Jesus will return and all things will be made new. And we won't feel this longing anymore. We will taste what really is true and real and good. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this season. It flows out of the Jews suffering this exile. And it's way too big a concept for us to even grasp, I think. But we do identify with that sense of longing, with wanting things to be different with knowing that we're part of the brokenness in the world. And God, I pray in that sense, in that acknowledgement, in that honesty about our own sin, we can hear the words of Jeremiah the prophet, that your love never fails, that your mercies are new every morning, that great is your faithfulness, and allow us to wade into the darkness and to release our desire to control and just refocus on following you on surrendering to you in the brokenness of our world in whatever way you call us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about this, uh, this call to surrender and follow God, and, and I feel like I have to warn you, it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. He, he said... I'm going to allure you. I'm going to pull you out to the wilderness. I'm going to take you out of these these places of comfort and complacency. I'm going to bring you out to the wilderness. That's that's what he said. And so this is this is all a very scary proposition unless unless you trust this wilderness God. Unless you trust him to lead you through the wilderness. Unless you trust him to meet you with manna and with water from a rock unless you trust him to bring you to another place, beyond the brokenness, beyond the rebellion, beyond the the place that your idolatry has led you, if you trust him to bring you into a place of rest, then great. But we go through the wilderness to get there. And so as we say we want to follow him, this is is the God that we're following. That's why I think it's, it's kind of scary, it's kind of daunting. But I think the reason we all can do it is because we come to this table and we, and we know that this table that we talk about manna, we talk about a body broken for us. We talk about water from a rock. We talk about blood poured out for us. It's on the cross that, that Jesus shows us. God says, I will meet you in the wilderness, smack dab in the middle of your brokenness and your pain and your exile. I'll meet you right there and I'll be there for you and with you. So this is a God that we can follow. And so, if you want to follow this God in the wilderness, if you want to follow Jesus with all your life, then this table's for you. And so what we're going to do is, in a moment, elders are going to come up and we'll have stations and music will be playing. And as soon as you're ready, as soon as you want to come to that table and be served, elder will serve you and remind you this is the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. And we'll take that and you can return to your seat. Um, if you can't make your way to a station, if you'd like me to bring it to you, just get my attention, flag me down. And after I've served everyone up here, I'll, I'll come serve you the elements. And if that's not you, if, if you're, you're saying, you know what, I, 
I'm not sure about that wilderness journey. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm just here checking it out. We're, we're so glad you're here. And feel free to just hang in your seat uh, while we do this. But uh, I'm going to pray, and elders will come to the stations, and we're going to take part of this together. Father God, you are a, a wilderness God. God who we really can't contain with our nice and neat ideas about you. God, we're so glad that you do draw near to us and you draw us near to you. That you do bring us into the place of the wilderness and often kicking and screaming. God, I pray that as we come to experience you, come to notice you and, and, and see you in those wilderness places, in those places of brokenness and exile, God, we come to know the rest that you're offering us. So as we come to this table, may, may it be a time, yes, reflection, but, but also of great rejoicing. Because we, we have found bread in the middle of the wilderness, in the desert. We found, we found water, we found your very blood in the middle of our desolation. It's because you are a good God who meets our needs. It's in your name we pray. Amen.